This is the PropTech VC Podcast. We give you unique insights into how innovative technologies are disrupting real estate. We interview top entrepreneurs, investors, and knowledgeable experts to share the inside scoop in this fast-moving industry. It's hosted by leading PropTech VC, Zane Jaffer. Let's dive into today's content. Real estate's very much focused, I would say, on, on dollar-backed uh, currency. US dollars in the real world, if we, if we take, it's the global currency standard now, but if, if we just take uh, the real world, help me get my head around how do we value real estate in the virtual world. You moments ago alluded to the fact that a house may stay fixed at 50,000, but the irony is you can't necessarily go in and buy a home for 50,000 US dollars. You need to convert those US dollars into Ethereum or even a token which is basically like a currency that's native to that land. If we just take the central land, which is a very large platform, one of the biggest right now, they have a token called MANA, M-A-N-A, and you can buy virtual land or you can buy experiences using these tokens of Ethereum and MANA. Now, these tokens, you can trade in and out US dollar to Ethereum or whatever, right? But as the tokens become rarer, or because of something native to that ecosystem, they eventually are not going to correlate to the US dollar. So what do you think the currency of the future is? Is it going to still be the real world US dollar and, and cryptos that are tagged or tethered to the US dollar? Or are we going to be dealing with an entirely new form of currency like MANA and Ethereum, which sometimes will have no correlation, I mean, in theory, very little correlation or a lot less correlation than other assets would have. Talk to us about that. Yeah, it's a great question, uh, and we might need to bring a third party for this question. Uh, but I think you know when we when we talk about you know the crypto and, and the monetization, you know I think the 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 real estate itself will increase in cost or price or market value, if you will, based on the environment around, right? So I think that's important to keep in mind. Your community also could have its own coin, right? That doesn't leave the community; it's only bought and sold here. Uh, in the community. Now, your big question is how do I translate that into returns? Well, I, I, I'm assuming you can do it one of two ways. The first is that you can buy other assets with your coins like art and paint and, and other type assets that could be physical or digital. And then you could, of course, then translate that into a cash sale. Uh, that's one way. I think another way which could be interesting is looking at this as a renter's model uh, where you're able to collect a fee per month based on the house for not only using the house but also the amenities of the environment. So I think you might be able to look at a different type of monetization model uh, for that. And the third aspect is patience. I think we all need to be patient. Uh, obviously everybody in this industry needs to cash out, right? So. That's up to regulators, I think, to figure out. And I think they're they're going along uh, with that ride and already have made certain regulations for certain cryptos. But there will most definitely be either A, a way to cash out, right, your 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 earnings or your, your wallet, if you will. Or number B, there would be a way to easily transfer it to buy something that's that can then either be digital or tangible and uh, and and cashed in, if you will. And this notion of community is what helps to understand the power of owning an NFT, an non-fungible token that could represent anything, it could represent a movie, an image, or in this case, a virtual item. Let's take the avatars online 
And Twitter has even created this uh, special way for you to verify you are the true owner of this avatar. But there are digital avatars today that are selling for millions and millions of dollars. You've got the CryptoPunks, you've got the Board Ape Yacht Club. And a big utility here is that if you buy a Board Ape, you're signaling to the world, A, I'm part of this forward thinking community, and B, it's expensive, and I'm the true owner of this. It's like being part of a, a members club, an exclusive members club too. And, and a lot of innovations happening now in the metaverse revolve around creating community. As an investor, as a venture capitalist myself, I see a lot of pitches around, here is a way for us to create community. When you, when you have this NFT, not only have we verified and authenticated you are who you say you are, you're part of this exclusive club. And by owning this NFT, it acts like a key where you can now access, even in the metaverse, you can have a door that can only be opened if you are the sole unique owner of this type of token. And maybe there's only a thousand tokens like this. And this is one example of how the sense of community, our desire to belong to a group, especially when you're in an environment like we felt with COVID, when you're in lockdown, you don't get that physical real interaction. We're social creatures, we need to interact with others. And here we are seeing this uh, craze where people spend so much money, millions of dollars buying virtual avatars and NFTs, which really the value is either in the eye of the beholder or because it genuinely puts you in a group of people. You know, a, a, a Hermes bag or a, a Rolls Royce really hold their value because of what's perceived to be there. So how much of this rush that we're seeing in the metaverse is down to the exclusivity versus genuinely being part of a community where you find like-minded people. Because right now, it feels to me that it's, to own one of these exclusive avatars, it's exclusive because it's exclusive, because it's expensive, because so few people have it. That's not the inclusive feeling one would expect from a community. What, what's going on and what's your take on the notion of community and exclusivity and inclusivity? Yeah, no, I think that's that's a great question. And, you know, when we th when we talk about the, the, the top NFTs and, and those communities, you know, the Bored Apes, there was a, uh, a conference down in Miami, I want to say a few months ago. And if you were part of this NFT community, you hopped on a yacht and hung out on a yacht for three days with, with all your community members at no cost. So I think there are benefits, of course, of being a community. Now, if we look at, you know, returns and yields of certain NFT communities, there's not too many, right? There might be four or five. I think you named two or three, but they are trailblazers in the space. That's that's very important to understand is we have to figure out a way to build a strategy, to build a community that that learns on, based on these trailblazers. Now, if we take a step back and look at what does a community do, right? It, it's very simple. It, it, what it does is it increases engagement of your customer base. It, it increases retention of your customer base. And ultimately, it'll increase sales of your customer base. That is the definition of a community for many businesses and for many retailers. It's the goal of having them continuously come back again and again with gamification, with rewards, with connectivity. Uh, and that's that's the key of this NFT buy, sell, trade uh, is increasing the sale of these NFTs and building that community where you're special and that you feel you're worth this community and should be in it uh, because it could be in this case because of your purchasing power. Uh, but, you know, we're working with a local aquarium that they want to build uh, a community that of people who are interested in the wild and preserving animals and 
preserving the environment. So I think, you know, community is, is, is critical uh, to really put an umbrella on how you engage on, on existing and future customers. Uh, you know, a great example is trading cards. You know, that's one or that's one industry that's 150% community driven. Uh, if you look at some of the retention rates for some of these, for, for you know, customer retention rates and customer uh, purchasing rates, it's four or five times a year. And that's based on the community, that feeling that they're one of the community. So I think as we move forward in the next several years, we'll see a lot of different communities. Uh, and then, of course, there's a monetization aspect to the communities. Uh, there's many nonprofit uh, nonprofits that we've spoken to, and you know they want to build their own coin, or they want to build their own NFTs, and a portion of those sales will go back to the to the to the environment, right, or to some of their missions and and engagement. So they're using this 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 utility for a way to increase donations or inc increase awareness. But I think community, you know, you see in a lot of your pitch decks, and you know we are too. Uh, it's critical now more than ever uh, because people want to feel belonged. You know, they, they're left out these past two, three years, whatever COVID's been, I forget. People feel left out. They want to be connected. They want to be like-minded. They want to solve problems and challenges together, right? And companies and brands are starting to see that, but they're even seeing it more effectively saying, oh, wait a minute, if I put a little bit of money in a community building strategy, uh, then, whoa, I might get an extra sale or two from this customer this year, right? So I think it's a huge strategy, especially with the metaverse, building that community, especially, like I said, you build that ecosystem, really it's, the community is an ecosystem. Everyone complements one another, everyone feeds off one another, and everyone buys and sells off one another. And if you own that infrastructure, whether you're a real estate VC or your construction, whatever it is, you'll be able to get transactions based on all those community engagements. Brands struggle to reach consumers and they live and die by their ability to reach consumers and engage them. And I saw this personally, I experienced the collapse of an entire category of, I, I saw this collapse of an entire category of retailers who didn't embrace mobile. They had a web-focused experience and they didn't bother creating a mobile-first experience and were very late to the game. And in that time frame, you saw mobile-first companies come out and usurp or disrupt the, the flow. And they made it very easy. One-click checkout on your mobile phone, integrated with Apple Pay or whatever, much more superior than a mobile web interface on your on your on your phone, you know, a native app is very powerful. And it, it feels to me a lot of that, a lot of people today have experienced this. We've seen entire companies emerge. We've seen billionaires come out, building companies in, in the space, competitors emerge. I somewhat feel that because the last one or two generations have experienced this, the current and the new generation realize when a new technology comes out, you have to move faster. I actually think the adoption curve now for technologies is very different than it used to be. Things will go mass much faster, and that's not just a function of a huge, massive global population and amazing connectivity. It's also a function of knowing if we don't move, we're gonna get disrupted. Every company now needs a digital strategy. Every company needs a CIO, and I'm talking about traditional big brands here. When in the past it was a, it was a, you know, a provocative role, a CIO, and even the role of a CIO and a CMO, a CTO, a CRO, everything has been touched by technology. Uh, so I, I think a lot of this is FOMO driven, but in a good way. Do, do you agree with that? I agree. Uh, 
100%. I think it's one of those technologies where companies need to dabble. And again, they don't need to necessarily know where they're going, but they need to get started. Uh, and that's really important. And that's what we're seeing uh, with, with these brands who are building these these infrastructure in this space, they understand the importance of, of testing and experience, experiencing. And that's like you mentioned, CIO, CTO, if they don't have most of their day looking at tomorrow or next quarter or next year, you're in trouble, right? So you have to have a team, which most corporations we're seeing is, is bringing in assessing technology. That's the first step. You assess it. You understand the capabilities, right? That's the first. And then, the, then they say, okay, I understand the tech. I understand its capabilities. Let's find a division, right? In my 30, 40, 50,000 person enterprise, whatever it is, let's find a division where this technology best fits. Right. So they work with that division. They build a proposal. They build a pilot. It fits. They do efficacy study. It works out. Then the team says, OK, it works in this division. Now, which division can we go to next? So they work as as a liaison. And it's important to know this as somebody who's looking to get into the, you know, the enterprise space, but also who necessarily talk to within the enterprise space is usually like an innovation team uh, or an experiential team that really tests these technologies in these different uh, divisions. But I think we're going to see a lot more openness. Uh, and I think it's, it's like you said, it's a fear of missing out. And it's also the fear of being yelled at. Let's be real here. You know, these are, these are public companies. A lot of these executives have a lot of pressure, a lot of stress. In a year from now, if they've missed the boat on this metaverse, then, you know, in these virtual worlds and these virtual shopping, the virtual training, whatever it is, if they miss the boat, it's, this is not a boat to miss. And put yourself in the shoes of the executives at larger companies. They're seeing fellow companies devote some of their treasury and managing uh, or transferring some of the treasury into cryptocurrencies. Now it's becoming a, a legitimate way of managing your treasury is to allocate yeah. some of your uh, you know, cash reserves into alternative cryptocurrencies. Uh, Bitcoin currently, but also, you know, there's even discussions now about large major banks providing services to their institutional clients. Uh, and institutions themselves do, uh, and, and high net worth individuals allocating, uh, I've heard numbers, but one to 5%, let's say, into cryptocurrency. Of course, there's some I would call maximalists, Bitcoin maximalists and others who have entirely 100% of their net worth in, in cryptocurrency. As I'm sure there are many of our listeners who have 100% of their net worth in things like real estate or startup founders who have 100% of their net worth in startups. But there it's becoming recognized. And this is something I don't think governments are able to, uh, um, you know, stop as much as help. And by helping, I mean regulation. I think regulation is, is good and needed for the space. Yeah, 100%. And I think, you know, I, I think the reg, I think the industry is going to do what it wants. And I think the, the regulators are either going to catch up or they're not. But I think the technology has gotten to this point, especially with, you know, decentralized applications and opportunities uh, where somebody out there will find a real clever way to cash out, you know, the, the these certain coins that, that people are worried about. Uh, so, you know, I think it's it's slow and steady it's, and it's being patient uh, and it's not rushing into r rushing into anything. Uh, it's slow and steady on this in this in this world. Great. Well, it's been fantastic having you on the show today. Um, could you let our listeners uh, uh, understand what type of uh, companies and partners are you looking for? And if anyone uh, fits the bill or if anyone wants to contact you, if you can spell out how they can contact you, including your email address. Sure. No, thank you. Thank you once again for, for your time. And 
and all the participants. Uh, we're primarily looking for early stage companies. I would say $100,000 in revenue to uh, seven, $800,000 in revenue that are looking for you know early stage funding. Uh, could be seed or series A. Uh, we'd be open to talking about certain investments. And also if there's any software development needs, uh, could be for ed tech, fintech, or any metaverse-based needs. We'd be happy to have those discussions. Uh, but you know, my job and my role, you know, in in this industry as a trailblazer is really to build an ecosystem where everything compounds. And I think that's going to be critical moving forward, uh, especially for the metaverse. Right. And how, how do they reach you? Uh, you can reach me Williams W I L L I A M S at arsom dot com A R S O M E dot com. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for your time.